I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Did we make ourselves sitting ducks? Humans have created the perfect conditions for new infectious diseases to emerge and spread. Development of wild land to build our homes has brought us into close proximity with animals and the diseases they carry. Our insatiable appetite for meat provides a perfect path for those diseases to spread to us. Overpopulated cities are basically a buffet of potential patients for diseases to infect, and the airplanes that bring us to places we've dreamed of seeing allow diseases to spread across oceans until they touch every corner of the globe. The good life has a bad side, and it won't stop once the COVID-19 outbreak is under control. In honor of Earth Day, I spoke to Dr. John Foley of Project Drawdown. The organization's only goal is to help the world reach the point where carbon emissions are no longer climbing. So John knows better than just about anyone the consequences our actions can have on the environment. And you might be surprised to learn just how many of the same actions that are destroying our planet are making us sick too. John, thank you so much for joining me on Warming Signs. Hey, thanks for having me. You have been working on this really interesting blog that somehow ties the pandemic that we're currently in to climate change. And it's tough because it's hard to think about climate change in this very vast, big global problem when we are in the midst of another global crisis. How do you make that connection? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, right now we should be thinking first and foremost about the health of our loved ones and the people around the world during a pandemic. You know, it is a crisis and we should deal with that crisis first and foremost, no question. Uh, and the second thing is to be very clear, climate change did not cause this pandemic at all. There's no connection directly from climate change to this emerging disease. But what's really important here is to see the lessons because uh, a pandemic is like a single event. It's like a biological storm. A single virus jumped out of an animal population into human populations and then spread because of a single event. That event can happen at any time, but because we're degrading the environment, we're tearing down healthy ecosystems, we're harming wildlife, we're eating wild animals that we've never encountered before, we're farming too many domesticated animals too close to too many people without good regulations like never before. We're setting up the conditions for viruses and bacteria, kind of zoonotic diseases, diseases of animals to jump into the human population. So in a way, it's kind of like um, how when we degrade the environment, we make disease outbreaks more frequent and more fierce. That is well known. We actually know about this pretty well. It's similar to how storms are affected by climate change. In a warmer, more energetic atmosphere, we're going to have more severe storms. We have more floods and more droughts and bigger and longer fire seasons and so on. So what I'm trying to say here is that uh, storms are linked to climate change. Climate change makes them stronger and more fierce. Similarly, ecological damage to the planet is making these biological storms, basically diseases, more frequent and more fierce. So the lesson here is after we put out the crisis, after the fire is out, after the pandemic is over, we shouldn't lose the lesson that we're making these things happen more frequently because of our degradation of the environment. 
when we cause climate change, we cause bigger storms. When we tear down rainforests and tear down ecosystems, we cause bigger pandemics. Yeah, a huge lesson. I mean, that's my mind is kind of is blown by this because it is a really natural connection there. I'm wondering if you can dig in a little bit more for me on how we're seeing and in what ways we're seeing these, you know, biological uh, storms make their way from animal populations into humans. Is it because we're losing rainforest or is it because Mm -hmm. our population is so vast? I mean, what is, what have we seen with that? Well, there are a lot of different uh, factors that contribute to an outbreak of infectious disease. These things are called emerging infectious diseases because they seem to come back in, you know, come into the human population from nowhere, like a new novel virus, like a coronavirus or SARS a few years ago, or MERS or Nipah virus or monkeypox. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. Yeah, of that's a lot. Oh, there are many more. And uh, they're new. And a lot of them come from animals, what we call zoonotic disease, whether they're wild animals that we're now either uh, eating or using as traditional medicines in some parts of the world, or maybe we're tearing down their habitat and they're moving to new places uh, near people in ways that haven't happened before. Or they come from domesticated animals, um, where we farm too many animals too close to each other without good regulation near too many people. So you get things like avian flu, swine flu, and so on that kind of jump from those domesticated farm animals to us. So that's kind of how um, environmental changes, um, like when we break down ecosystems, we start um, mixing people and animals in unhealthy ways. Viruses uh, can jump from the animals to us. And it's interesting because, I'm sorry to, but real quick on that. It's interesting because whenever we are losing our forests, whenever we are, you know, um, doing mass farming of animals, all of that is contributing to climate change. Well, that's true. It's very, very interesting is um, that the way we farm around the world and the way we use the land around the world and all, all that together, either our agriculture, our deforestation, our land use is contributing to these ecological disasters, including a rising pandemics and emerging disease. But also, they're a major contributor to climate change. About a quarter of climate change is caused by agriculture and land use. It's the same amount as what's caused by electricity, actually. All the electricity in the world produces about a quarter of climate change, and all the land use and agriculture in the world produces about a quarter of climate change. They're equal. So it turns out that, yeah, the way we farm, the way we use land, the way we clear forest is a big, big environmental issue, whether it's about habitats and biodiversity breaking down ecological systems, sometimes releasing diseases out into the human population, and it contributes to climate change. So that's why land use is so, so important. I actually devoted a lot of my research life to thinking about global land use and how it affects like everything, whether it's our water, our ecosystems, or our climate. We have to think not only about how we fix our energy system, but also our food and water systems as well. This is such a wide lens for, I think, a lot of people, myself included, who are, you know, we are in the middle of this global pandemic, this crisis, where we're worried about loved ones, we're worried about ourselves, we're worried about the cascade of the economic impacts. There's so much of our brain that is taken up by this pandemic that it seems really difficult for us to, you know, widen the lens 
and look at climate change in the bigger picture, but it feels like maybe we shouldn't be ignoring it. I mean, why shouldn't we be ignoring climate right now? Well, this is what we really have to be getting better at as a society is uh, we live in a very complex world with many different things happening into it. And we can react to the crisis, but we shouldn't under uh, forget the underlying cause of the crisis. So, you know, after 9-11, we, of course, were, you know, tragic event of that terrorist incident. But we had to look at the bigger picture of what causes terrorism. How do we make ourselves more safe and more secure? Similarly, after fires in California and Australia, we put out the fires during the fire. Of course, that's the job. But afterward, we should reflect on why are these fires happening more frequently? Why are they getting worse? And same thing with emerging diseases. We've seen dozens and dozens of new, entirely new diseases coming into the human population in the last 30 to 40 years, including coronavirus, including SARS, including monkeypox, including HIV. And these are all causing huge implications for the world. They are a crisis, but we should see also the underlying pattern of why these crises are happening more frequently. So I think we have to get better at that. Um, looking, you know, we put out the fire, but then we think about how to prevent the future fires by changing the system, if you will. With our current changed behavior, I mean, we're not driving, we're not flying, we're not, we're not doing a lot of the things that contribute to climate change. Is this an opportunity for us to come out on the other side of this pandemic? with real change, or are we going to snap back into old habits? Well, um, first of all, you know, what's happening now is a tragedy. I get really annoyed by a few, very, very few environmentalists who might be celebrating a little bit like, hey, look, nature's coming back when we leave it alone. I'm like, the human cost is what really matters here. So, you know, that, I want to just say that for the record that, you know, the, this is not a way we should solve environmental problems is hurting people. That's terrible. But um, after the recessions of 2008, after 9-11, what we saw when the economy started to get back to normal again was a different kind of economy. People took things a little more seriously. People tried to be efficient and mindful of where they put their money. In fact, the United States, we had uh, the peak emissions of, of CO2 in this country happened in 2007. And they've been going down every year ever since. Huh. Uh, what? Yeah, people don't realize that that our emissions are no, actually fifteen percent. Yeah, we've been cutting our emissions by about fifteen percent over the last fifteen years. Not a lot. We need to cut it far quicker. But the economy that came back after the Great Recession was different. It was more based on technology than manufacturing. Companies retooled, got more efficient. People, at least for a while, were buying more efficient cars and being more modest about the homes they bought. So maybe that will change after this as well. Maybe we'll be a little more frugal. Maybe we'll be a little more mindful of what we do. And I hope that we can then make space again for having the deeper conversations of not just reacting to the single incidents of a disease or big fires or big superstorms or big hurricanes. We start to ask about the underlying causes of why do these things keep happening to us? And I hope that um, we have leadership and vision in this country and others that can do those two things at once. Of course, deal with the immediate crisis, always, but also look at the bigger picture that causes them to be um, causing so much harm and more frequently. So 
for the people that do have some bandwidth, they are full up on the news. They cannot take any more um, of <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's tough, and they're stuck at home. Are there solutions? Are there things that people can be working on so that whenever we are coming back, we are, you know, making those positive changes like you're talking about, those smart choices? Well, first, if, if you don't mind, I, I want to just, uh, you know, address one thing. It's like, wow, uh, I don't know about the rest of you all there, out there, but I think, uh, you know, I feel really anxious and kind of freaked out. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my friends, my family, worried about people's jobs. Of course, we all are. That's natural and very human. Um, but we have to kind of step back from that once in a while. Maybe we process our fear and our grief, our anxiety, all these things. Let ourselves do that, have space to do that, I think. But at the end of the day, we've got to you know, get up off the floor and figure out how to make a better world for tomorrow. Uh, how do we help? How do we do things better? And the good news is there's so many opportunities for us to make a better world. We don't have to let the world go to hell. We don't have to let climate change wreck the planet or for us to destroy rainforest and unleash more and more of these terrible diseases. That's a choice. We can choose something different. And the good news is the choices are available. We absolutely have good solutions to climate change. We have good solutions to maintaining our rainforest and healthy ecosystems. We have solutions. We just have to choose to deploy them and use them and make them real. So that's what we do at Project Drawdown. Uh, we focus on climate change solutions. We review you know, about 100 different climate solutions around the world and try to figure out which ones actually work and which ones are the biggest, which ones might be the least expensive, which ones could be deployed today. And I can assure you, we have enough now to stop climate change. Uh, we have to get busy. It's going to take a lot of work, but we have the tools we need to do the job. The question is, will we? And I think we should, and I think we will. What would you say is kind of the, maybe the the solution that you find most interesting or intriguing that you guys have dove into and you're like, huh, this, this could help? Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really important is, of course, uh, the biggest contributor to climate change, of course, are all the different emissions related to like energy and fossil fuels. About 60 to 65% of climate change is caused by fossil fuels, whether it's in electricity or in our cars and our furnaces and our industries, they're used everywhere. Uh, so we have to figure out how to move away from fossil fuels. The good news is energy efficiency is probably about a third of the answer. And then switching to renewables um, and energy storage systems might be the other two thirds of the answer. And we have both of those available now. So that's great. Uh, and things like solar and wind and batteries are getting so cheap now, they're competitive. In fact, they beat fossil fuels in the marketplace, at least around electricity now. That's great. The surprising solutions, though, might be the ones outside fossil fuels. We have to solve fossil fuels, number one. But when you look at other sectors like deforestation or how much meat we eat or food waste, things tied to our land-based emissions, that turns out to be very important and kind of surprising to people. Or that funny materials emit greenhouse gases like cement. When cement is curing, it releases CO2 into the air chemically. Uh, if cement were a country, it'd be the third or fourth largest emitter of CO2 in the world, <laughs> believe it or not. Wild. Just yeah, bananas. Isn't that crazy? It's not anything that you would consider or think about at all. Yeah, but, but it's huge. And so we've got to figure out alternative cements in the future. 
Also, the gases we use um, in our refrigerators and freezers and air conditioners are called hydrofluorocarbons. We actually started using those in the 70s to replace the previous generation of refrigerants called chlorofluorocarbons that hurt the ozone layer. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, it turns out the stuff we're using now, though, are potent greenhouse gases. If um, if your air conditioner leaks, you're adding gases to the atmosphere that trap a lot of heat and contribute to climate change. So that's what kind of surprises people, too, is that it's not. I thought we had kind of, okay, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. All right, we're trying to get the, (laughs) you know, the CFCs under control, the chlorofluorocarbons, and we've, you know, we had the Montreal Protocol. Okay, we've made some real progress on that. And now it's like, oh, but wait, our replacement is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. Yep. Um, Oh, great. I didn't know that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, now you do. Um, so <laughs> there's a follow-up to the Montreal Protocol called the Kigali Conference, where we're actually starting to see regulations emerge or, or frameworks emerge to think about how we can replace those refrigerants with other chemicals that are both ozone-friendly and climate-friendly. Uh, so there's actually a lot of good news there. But when about 2 billion people in the world are now rich enough to buy their first air conditioners and refrigerators, and they live mostly in pretty warm places, Understandably, this is an issue we got to get on right away. So that's actually why refrigerants are one of the top solutions to climate change in our analysis too. Of course, you know we have about you know fifty solutions that aim just at fossil fuels, but we have another thirty or so that talk about land use and agriculture and cement and refrigerants and all those other little pieces that, when you put them all together, are important as well. So um, don't forget about the fossil fuels. That's still job number one. But we've got to look at food and materials and funny chemicals and all sorts of things to address climate change. It's a lot of little pieces we've got to attack. What about in people's houses? Like if you are stuck in your home all day, are there small changes that people can make? I know you get asked this question a lot. Uh, What can I do to make a difference? We can do a lot of different things in our lives. It isn't just you at home as a consumer. We're all voters. We're all uh, educators of sorts. Um, We're all, we all have many broadcasting empires in our Facebook pages and so on. So we have a lot of different powers uh, in the world. Um, And also in your community and maybe your schools or your workplaces, uh, places of worship, we have a lot of influence in the world. So it's not just the light bulbs and everything else. But at home, people do want to know what they can do at home. And this does matter. Um, It certainly doesn't replace big political changes or big systems changes in business that we have to have. But if we can maybe make the job easier by doing like energy efficiency, if we use less energy, it makes it a lot easier to switch the energy to renewables. So energy efficiency at home, like, yes, replacing those old LED, you know, those old light bulbs with LEDs does matter and it saves you money. Uh, buying a fuel-efficient car, uh, please don't buy an SUV or pickup truck unless you actually need it. And ask yourself, could I rent that instead for the couple times a year you might? Instead, try to get something fuel-efficient, um, maybe a hybrid, maybe something that's 50 miles per gallon. That'll save you a lot of money. And if you want to be an early adopter or you live in maybe California and Hawaii, electric cars make a lot of sense where there are charging stations. So those things help a lot. Also, uh, food waste. And eating less meat helps a lot in the environment. Um, all When we start doing that, it adds up a little bit. Uh, every, t- every bit helps. And food waste um, will save you money by not wasting so much food, especially wasting meat and dairy products. And uh, let's be more mindful about that because about a third of the food in the world is wasted and never even eaten. And that means about a third of the environmental damage of the world is also not necessary because we could cut it down. 
is there anything in the midst of i mean you're you're giving us terrific solutions thank you for those is there anything in the midst of this chaos of this biological storm as you put it that's giving you hope is there any glimmer of hope that you're seeing or anything that you find encouraging yeah um i maybe by uh just to keep myself from sobbing in the corner with a bottle of vodka or something every day. You know, maybe it's just an occupational hazard, but I look very hard for positive things to kind of keep me grounded, to give me a little bit of hope and remind myself there are good things happening in the world, because there are, if you just go and look for them. I'm so inspired by the medical uh, professionals of the world. I'm inspired by the people who keep the lights on of our civilization right now. The Instacart, you know, delivers the you know the FedEx people, the UPS folks. People are kind of risking their health and well-being so that we can hold up at home. I'm inspired by these folks. Um, our scientist um, uh, Anthony Fauci, who's speaking truth to power, there he is right in front of President Trump, telling the world that the president's lying to you. Uh, that takes a lot of courage and a lot, you know, speaking that truth to that power is essential. And that's what science must and always do. So I'm impressed with the kind of scientists and the medical professionals of this country and the kind of everyday folks who are keeping the country humming despite this pandemic. Um, that's where I'm finding hope. I see it also in other countries and our communities. Um, I live in San Francisco, where I think our local officials have done a really damn good job actually managing this crisis. We closed down the city far earlier than many others, and it seems to be helping. So uh, good policymakers and hard workers and driven by facts, not ego, gives me hope. I just wish we saw more of it. Maybe this will be the thing that turns the tides. and we, Maybe we will see a little more of that. I know that Fauci is really being lauded as kind of a bit of a national hero at this point. So let's let's see that keep going in that direction, perhaps. <laughs> I hope so. But he's also getting, you know, death threats and uh, being villainized by people for being a doctor. Uh, to think about that for a second. But that's, that's true with climate scientists, by the way, too. Oh, yes. And yes. And yes. <laughs> yeah. plenty, plenty of those in the timeline. Yeah. I can't thank you so much, John, for you know, taking a few minutes and really breaking this down for us. I really think that you have brought such an interesting mix to how this pandemic plays into this larger picture. And it's nice to end on a bit of hope, isn't it? Well, hope is where we find it. Uh, I try to remember um, that hope is actually a verb, not a noun. It's not something you have, it's something you create, it's something you do. And so maybe uh, let's remind ourselves of that. Uh, hope is you know, putting everything on the line. It's getting up in the morning and maybe against all odds saying, I want to build a better future for myself and other people I love. And um, that's what a lot of people are doing today. And that gives me hope and keeps me going too. So let's uh, see if we can spread that around a little. Beautiful. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. I'm so glad you're a part of the Warming Signs family. Drop a line and say hello. I think we're all kind of needing some of that human interaction during this isolation as I record this podcast from my home rather than the studio. So say hi on Twitter, at WeatherKate, a great way to reach me. And I hope that this episode provided some helpful insight. If you have any ideas or something that you would really like to hear about, tweet at me, let me know, and we can get that ball rolling. Until next time.